dip our toes into another edition of Making Money with the financial coach, Ron Hebert, a retired portfolio manager. I'm Gordon Whitehead, and we're going to talk about the business you were in, Ron. This is one that uh, I think a lot of people look for an advisor. We've talked about how to sort of screen the process for finding an advisor. But once you get in there, you've, there are some really pertinent questions that you have to address. And the one at the top of the list is likely fees, is it not? Yes, and, and you've got to follow the money. Uh, when you're in the investment arena, it's easy to get distracted by hype and taken for a sucker. The financial industry is not a charity. It's driven by the power of the buck, and the bigger the dollars, the bigger the incentive. And the bigger the incentive, the bigger the temptation to do something that benefits the seller of financial advice or products, and not you. Big paydays can bend morals, cloud perception, and really twist loyalties. So I'm not saying that everyone out there is like that. In fact, a small percentage are. Over the years, legislation and provincial securities commissions have gotten much, much better at shutting people down that try to cheat you or try to take advantage of you. But they're still out there, and you need to understand how they call it perverse incentives and how they work and how to protect yourself from having them work against you. So, again, I, I hearken back to the television commercials. There's one I can think of with a husband and wife discussing their financial situation and talking about fees, and somebody charges a half percent, and the person they're using is charging 2%, and the little daughter says, that's four times as much. And the wife says, over time, that can be a lot of money. And it can be a lot of money, right? Over time... That can be a tremendous amount of money. I mean, let's take a look at an example. So suppose you have an investment account worth $80,000, and you've got a time horizon of 25 years, and you've done a very, very good job, and you're able to earn a 7% a year, and you pay a fee of half a percent. At the end of the 25-year period, you'll have made uh, approximately $380,000. Now, consider the same scenario, but with one difference. You aren't paying attention to the costs, and you hand over 2% annually in fees. After 25 years, you're left with approximately 260000 That tiny 2% costs you hundred grand. Now, it's important, uh, I would say over my 40 years in the business court, that I got half of my clients that were paying too much they were involved in mutual funds and insurance products and, and uh, private equity things that uh, just cost them a fortune. So they weren't able to make any money, so you end up getting that kind of business. But I also ended up getting a lot of business from do-it-yourselfers, people that thought, well, I can do this for uh, a half point to a point, and I'll just go and, and get in there and start trading like the big boys. And, of course... We've most, done, that doesn't work. <laughs> no, most people, frankly, are not that good at this. And if you are, go to a discount broker. You've got a good trading strategy that's worked well over the long term. That's excellent. But if you go to a discounter and you're, you're saying to yourself, I can do this myself and save a lot of fees, well, I've seen so many people that come limping into me or came limping into me because I'm retired now with their portfolios down by 50%, and they completely wasted themselves. And so that's a false economy, just saying that, that you, can, you can save a little money on fees. You've got to get the balance there. You want to pay a reasonable amount of fees that will give you a very competitive rate of return. And if you can find that, you're in nirvana. 
Okay, let's talk about the power of perverse incentives. You, you, you had a pretty good example here. Yeah, you know, I had a friend of mine who was uh, a CEO of a large electronic retail company. And, of course, he brought in a new product, which was a, a portable copying machine. And he thought this thing was just going to sell like mad because when he compared it to an older brand, it had way less features and, frankly, was far less durable. The old brand broke down a lot more. But there was a problem. It didn't sell? It, yeah, it didn't sell. And so he tried, he, he, he stopped to figure out why, and he found out that the old brand, there was a, an incentive attached to it by the company that made it to give the salespeople a bigger commission than they would get from selling the new brand. So he ended up readjusting the sales structure so the new product paid just a little bit more than the old product. Immediately, the old product died, and the sales of the new product soared. And it just shows you an inferior product. If people can get incentivized with a bigger payout to sell it, often will prefer an inferior product to a better one because they're incentivized by the money. Yeah, that's a simple rule, right? As you say, follow the money. And don't be played for a sucker in this, right? Yeah, you know, the old saying, if you're playing poker and can't figure out who the sucker is in the room, it's you. <laughs> and, you know, and of course, not everybody is, is, uh, is out to get you financially, but it can be hard to tell people who are out there for themselves and who aren't. And your financial well-being, in a large part over your investment career, is going to be determined by your ability to figure this out. So... I would highly recommend you listen to this show a couple of times because being taken advantage of in your investment career is one of your biggest risks over the long term. And we did a show on how to pick an investor. Go back and reference that. Get some fine points on, on how to narrow down your list of a choice of who you want to deal with and then pay attention to the points we're going to bring up here. So what is the follow the money strategy then? Follow the money is just... Uh, it asks process. some basic questions, right? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a process where you just ask some basic questions before financial transactions. Now, once you get into the process and you've gotten trust, uh, maybe you can let your guard down a little bit, but you should ask, who is getting paid? Question one, when you buy something. Number two, how much are you getting paid? Number three, who's paying it? And does the fee structure... Does it bias you in favor of me? In other words, if there's a product that's better for me that costs 1% and a product that's better for you that 8%, you take a look at these products and you can quickly figure out which one of them are in your favor and which ones work against you. So how do these big players in this financial world get incentivized? I guess that's one thing people must wonder, like, who decides who gets paid and how and all the rest of it? What's the process here? Well, the industry is a giant conflict of interest. Uh, you take accounting firms. If you're doing an audit of me, who's paying you, Gord? Me. Yeah. If you're a country or you're a business and you want a credit rating and I give credit ratings, well, you will retain me to do a credit rating of you. Here again... Um, the customer is paying for a, a product, 
And it's very difficult to not be biased. In the investment industry, investment firms, they lend money to big business. They raise money for big business in the form of new shares for them. They act as strategic advisors for big business. And if they're acquired or they're in the acquiring process, they act as strategic advisors. But on the other side of the coin, they have clients that use their services, that buy and sell securities, that do financial and estate planning or take out mortgages, and they manage portfolios from them. They do research in the middle on companies that they, they not only lend to or make money from, but on the other side, they manage money for. So, you know, there's, there's a natural bias in there, and especially you've got to be careful when it comes to investment recommendations, and you'll find that historically very few are sell. So typically buy, uh, recommendations to hold a security are either buy, hold, or sell. And uh, if you're going to tell a large corporation that you wouldn't recommend their securities to clients on the investment side, you know, how long do you think the big corp is going to retain you to give them advice and raise capital? And I, in this uh, uh, discussion we're having today, I included a stock court. And it just shows the percentage of sell recommendations over a, basically a 10-year period. Normally, they're between 2 and 10%. I think the average is around 4%. So you get 100 recommendations, you know, between 2 and 8 of them are going to be sell recommendations. On average, 4 out of the 100 are going to be sell recommendations. So there's a huge bias in the industry. There's a lot more recommendations to buy than there are recommendations to sell. And that's because investment firms, whether they say so or not, they want to be very sure that uh, they, they're not putting a gun in their mouth when it comes to their relationships with their biggest clients. So you've got to be careful. Okay, so we want to break this down into two shows. There's some ways to protect yourself here and some other areas to dip into, and we're going to do that in next week's episode because, like as you said, this is a very important topic. It's one you really have to pay attention to. If you're thinking about becoming an investor or if you already are an investor, maybe you sit down and take a look at, at what you have and, and realize, holy smokes, I've been making a bit of a mistake here. Yes, and uh, so I think we'll get into uh, next, next show, we'll talk about advisor incentives. If you're dealing with an advisor, there's six common ways that they get paid. And we'll be looking at the danger signs. For example, if you're doing a high volume of trades and you pay by the transaction, uh, then we'll be looking at in incentives for management of securities that you're buying. So if you're buying a stock, does management have a significant ownership? And then we'll be talking about ways to protect yourself. Okay, uh, we have a question, too, that came in. And this is, this is a great question, Ron, and it's one that we touched on in a recent episode. It's from Al, and he's talking about, uh, our, our show on preferred shares. And he took your course at Grant McEwen some years ago. He learned about Reset Preferred, so I checked them out. And I had a discount brokerage account at the time. He says, I was given a binder of preferred shares available at the time, and I soon found out the preferreds I was interested in were already picked over and not available. So by the time the discount investor gets a peek at what is not around, I gave up on preferreds. Now, he's they're retired, and he wants to know about bonds. And he's talking specifically about government bonds and whether or not they're going to change bonds to perpetual bonds. Is, is this a possibility? What tends to happen 
if you listen to some of the doomsday uh, financial shows out there, they look at countries that have a financial collapse. And when a country has a financial collapse, they don't have the money if you have a government bond. In other words, you've lent the government money to pay you back. So they can pay you back in two ways. Number one, they can just print tons of money, and they make the money essentially worthless, so you're paid back in worthless money. The second way they can do it is they can take a bond that you have, so you've got a $100,000 bond that pays 2% interest and maturities in three years, and it's uh, the issuer is the government of Canada. So the government of Canada is saying that we'll pay you back your 100000 in a couple of years, and we'll give you 2% along the way. Now, the time comes along to pay you back, and, and they completely run out of money, so they decide not to go the inflation route. In some countries, what they'll do is they'll take your bond, and they won't give you your principal back. But what they will say is that we're going to give you a fixed income or rate of return on this bond forever. So they're going to take your bond with a maturity date, and they're going to convert it into what they call a perpetual bond. Now, can this happen in Canada? Well, you know, if the whole world, and if you want to get into doomsday scenarios, well, you know, if there was a nuclear war and they couldn't pay you back, is there a possibility that this could happen? Well, maybe there is a possibility that it could, it could happen. But it's like getting up every morning and deciding you're going to go and take your dog for a walk. There's a probability that you could be struck by lightning. There's a probability that a car could run over the curb and run over you. There's a probability that uh, a sinkhole could open you up and you fall in there and then it closed behind you. But, you know, these are very, very low probability events. So would I, would I worry about that too much? Well, I wouldn't worry about it too much uh, in the current situation or scenario that we're in. You know, if, if we do have a doomsday event, well, then you're going to have to make some major adjustments to your portfolio. But right now, that is a very, very low probability outcome. That's very much like saying, well, I'm not going to go for a walk or I'm going to put on a, um, a, a suit made out of Kevlar with rockets on the back so if anybody comes close to me, I can take off. I mean, there's only so far you want to protect yourself against the low probability event. I mean, personally, I don't own government bonds. I, I own, well, I have a very little bit, maybe a quarter percent of my portfolios in government bonds. The rest of it is corporate bonds or preferred or common shares of real estate. And the simple reason for that is uh, I just prefer not to lend government money. They don't pay you anything on it. So uh, I can go to a corporation, and many corporations, frankly, I trust their management far more than I trust their government. So, and if I can get a, a 1% or 2% better yield by doing so, uh, that's where I put my money. Yeah, well, as he points out in his letter that, you know, right now the, the government of Canada, which has been spending money at a furious rate, is is purchasing debt to keep interest rates low. We've talked about, are they going to fire up the presses and start printing more money and devaluing the dollar? This is This is a really complex issue. But you don't think we have to worry about governments changing their bonds to perpetual bonds? Not right now. Uh, if, if, we, if we have a crisis that spirals into a disaster... Then all could, bets are off. Yeah. Then all bets are off. But it's the same, you know, it's the same type of bet. Are you going to get run over by a car or hit by lightning today? Well, you can stay inside and prevent it. 
but you know you're you can become paranoid about the the I think in Canada you've got a one in fourteen million chance every year of getting struck by lightning. So I mean, are you going to take that chance? Well, you know, I'm probably going to stay out from under trees in a lightning storm, but it isn't going to keep me inside uh, forever in case I get uh, hit by a, a freak bolt because the odds are just too too minimal. And uh, I'd say the same thing about uh, about bonds. Now, your bigger risk with bonds is that governments increase the amount of currency out there so that you start having inflation. And in that case, then you start want to want to start having investments in your portfolio that will protect you against inflation. Uh, we'll be talking about that very, very shortly, actually. Okay, I just hearkened back to, I had a thought about the old golfer Lee Trevino. You know, as golfers... Uh... The one iron has almost become extinct, but there was a line that Lee Trevino used to use because he got hit by lightning one time. But he said in the future, all he was going to do anytime there was a threat of lightning, he was going to walk down the fairway and hold a one iron up in the air because even God couldn't hit a one iron. (laughs) (laughs) Great line from uh, Mr. Trevino. Okay, we're back again next week to continue this discussion on following the money. We will join you then on behalf of the financial coach, Ron Hebert. I'm Gord Whitehead. Thanks for listening. The information presented is derived from sources believed to be reliable. This material is presented for information purposes only and does not constitute investment advice. Before acting on any investment information, a person should seek advice from an investment professional. The presenters may or may not hold positions in the securities discussed on this show and will not be responsible for any losses sustained from acting on this information.